Welcome. I'm Jessica Tejan, and this is the Evolving to Exceptional podcast, where we talk about reaching peak performance in our workplaces, homes, and communities so that we can live our best life possible, an exceptional life. Welcome back to this week's episode of Evolving to Exceptional. We have an excellent guest with us here with just an amazing background of experience from corporate into now a a new startup company that's doing just amazing things. Allison is with us here. She's the Chief Strategy and People Officer at Largely, um, which is is a startup organization. She's going to tell us all about the amazing stuff that they are doing there. Um, Allison, I want to give you a chance to maybe introduce yourself a little bit and tell Tell us a little bit about about you, about why you do what you do, and and you know maybe a little bit about your why you're so committed to the, the path that you're on and and to this um, human resources ish space that we're that we're all in. Yeah, thanks, Jessica. It is wonderful to be here with you today. I would say that I am so committed, first off, to what we do as HR professionals because we really make the business run. And if you think about it, we're often the individuals behind the scenes who get to see all of the different problems that are happening and all of the different players. And it's almost like uh, walking into a kitchen and seeing all these fabulous ingredients and being able to put together a really fantastic meal. Right. So we we see all of that. We're able to bring it together, um, you know, for the betterment of the teams that we work with and the organizations that we support. So it's it's been um, a fantastic journey so far. I started my career in the recruitment space uh, in media. So I started at the Baltimore Sun when newspapers were still um, a very prominent part of our lives. And uh, I've since transitioned into um, food and beverage. I worked for Anheuser-Busch for, I guess, a dozen years I led HR for the U.S. breweries there. I worked in a brewery, and then I finished my career leading talent acquisition for North America. From that engagement and really amazing experience and adventure, I found largely, or actually largely found me. So uh, one of the amazing team members that I have here today sent me a cold outreach on LinkedIn. And as all HR professionals know, when you get that uh, that cold outreach from a salesperson, we often read, smile, maybe we connect to grow our network because you never know what kind of positions you'll be needing to fill in, in, a, in a future uh, state. But uh, something about it, I responded. And uh, he had asked me simply for my opinion about uh, their startup and some business ideas that they had. And so we connected. And that's how I found Largely and got started here. So Largely is a company that really seeks to create connection. We have looked at the candidate experience and the recruiter experience and thought, you know, so many organizations have spent so much time automating uh, different parts of the recruitment process and finding efficiencies. And in doing so, they've, re- they've, they've stripped kind of the, the authenticity and the humanity out of some of the early stages. You know, candidates usually don't talk to anyone until they're about midway through the process. And so what we do is we help organizations capture primarily employee-generated content 
employees talking about their experiences within an organization and then use that content throughout their process, whether it's on kind of those top of funnel activities on the attraction side, or if it's really being focused on marketing to candidates as they're in the recruitment funnel. And then, you know, that carries over, right? There's so many moments of communication that that once someone transitions and becomes uh, an employee of an organization, you can continue to use our platform to communicate with them. What I loved about when you first kind of told me about this was the the nature of almost like marketing to your candidate pool and not marketing to just attract them to initially apply, but really marketing to sell them on the value proposition that the organization has to offer. And you hear a lot about that, right? You there's It's in all the talent strategy books, you know, define your employee value proposition and and how you're attracting talent and what, what do you have uniquely that you want to hire to bring people in. But I think it's become almost diluted because everyone has kind of the same things, right? We care about our people. I like there's not a company out there that says like, we don't really like our people. You know, I mean, they, that would, that would not make sense. So, so it's become so, so standardized and the, and, and I, as someone who actually really didn't like recruiting and hiring very much. It was very like rigid. It was just, these are the steps and they, you move them through. And I actually just recently, my, my husband was looking for a new job and, and was in the, in the market and he got a phone call six months after he had originally applied to a position saying they're now ready to interview for the position. And he's like, are you, are you, you're kidding, right? Like, what? <laughs> and so, I mean, he'd done like a preliminary interview and then they were like, we're ready to move to the next stage. And with no communication, nothing from preliminary interview to that point. And so I just think it really highlights that missing piece. And it was something I'd never heard of. So I'm curious as you work with your customers and as, as you, as you work to create these, uh, this approach, what do you do to really like keep that fresh? Like how often are you sending messages? You know, how do you decide what you're putting into those messages? How does it work for them to, to be getting those? Yeah, I mean, it, it, everything is dependent upon the organization, but I, I just want to take a minute to say before I answer, I, I absolutely agree with you. And I, I just a quick shout out for James Ellis. If, if you, if you haven't looked at anything that he does, he's an amazing, uh, employer brand, talent brand, uh, evangelist, if you will. And he had something that he posted here recently about your value proposition. And he said, guess what? It needs to be a differentiated value proposition because to your point, everyone is saying the exact same thing. Yep. So what we do when we work with clients is we really look to understand a couple of different things. Uh, first of all, we look at that candidate funnel. What's your process? What does your data tell you? Where are you potentially losing candidates? What do you have that's working really well? And maybe what can we dial in a little bit? And then who are you? So really telling the story of who you are as an organization through your employees, instead of letting these candidates, you know, learn or hear from your employees through your glass door reviews, you know, listening to someone who can talk about their experiences in a way that's all very, very relevant because we're all used to consuming content in real format, whether we want to admit it or not, we have gone, I'm, I'm willing to bet that almost all of your listeners have gone down a TikTok or Instagram Reels rabbit hole uh, from time to time. 
So we really work with them to understand what is it that you want to convey in this moment. And oftentimes we start with the thank you. So we have a client that has really an amazing thank you message. Uh, I wish I wish all organizations could truly use this message. They they can't. Um, but this client uh, really really walks the the talk here, and they say thank you, thank you for the time you spent completing our application because mm-hmm. we know that in your job search it takes a lot of time and intention for you to do this. We are committed to reviewing every resume and application that we get, but that means sometimes we're kind of slow. So you can expect to hear back from us in five to seven days. So, you know, they're totally honest about who they are, what they appreciate, what the timeline is. And so as a candidate, once you've completed that application, if that's the message that you're getting back and you're getting it both kind of in the written word and also in this video message from someone, you think, okay, I I can wait five to seven days to hear back from this company. I'm not going to feel ghosted. I I know what the expectations are, and uh, and then we we usually evolve from there. There are some clients that are doing some amazing things when it comes to interviews, and I know that that might sound just so standard, just an interview confirmation, but what they're doing is they're providing tips and tricks on how to be successful interviewing at their organization. Oh. I, which, when you think about it, as a recruiter, don't you want your candidates to be successful? You know, it it's not this gotcha of let me see, you know, <laughs> if I can get someone out. You want to find the person uh, to to join you. And, and hopefully you're learning about the people and the human on the other end of the Zoom or on the phone um, and, and hoping that you can bring their talents uh, to your organization. So really being mindful of that differentiated value, uh, who you are, where does it make sense? Where are you losing candidates? I mean, it's it's really interesting, right? Because in in regular sales and marketing, we know about a marketing funnel, about a sales funnel, about conversions and retargeting. I mean, we're all used to being retargeted. How many right. times have you been talking about something with your friend or spouse, and the next thing you know, you have an ad on your phone, uh, you know, about it. And so we we're we're used to this marketing in our in our day-to-day lives, but for whatever reason on the recruitment side and in, in business, we have an opportunity here to be better. Well, and I, I love the the gratitude message or the thank you message that you talked about. It almost humanizes the process. So instead of it feeling like, I don't know, like a gauntlet that you're running of like evaluation and it triggers when you think about people's psychological safety and their responses and things if they're in a in a triggered state of like validating my worth validating my value trying to prove myself in that energy space it, they may not come across in a way that could be as valuable or perceived as as valuable as as they could if they understood what are those tips yep. what are the things you really want me to show up and be prepared to to do in the interview i just think that's so so impactful and so powerful and and it it's it is marketing but it isn't right because it's not go look at these 10 companies it's this one company that i've already expressed interest in that now is helping me to understand why they might or might not be the right fit 
and and I, I almost wonder, I guess it's an interesting question if if that ever if that's ever part of the message of like reasons you maybe should consider not working for us and you like wouldn't want to con- continue with the interview process. Like if these are issues for you, you won't be a fit or so, you know something along the lines. Has that ever happened? Oh, absolutely. I love it when we work with clients who have cultures that allow them to be that forthright mm-hmm. where it, because, you know, every company has a, a little bit of a different culture and and we have to, what we want to do is honor that because that way the candidate can make the most informed decision. We often tell folks, we like to work with clients and actually set metrics for success uh, of engaging together. It's not just kind of creating the content and forgetting it. It's really about what are the solutions and what are we solving? But what we won't do is we won't set an application target for how many people will apply um, or stay through the, the the beginning because you want them to self-select out if they're not a right fit. Right. So we save you time ever, and money. That's right. We won't ever tell anyone we're going to juice your applications by 25 percent. We're not in the business of juicing your applications. We're in the business of helping you tell your story so you can make more effective hires. And then also, let's talk about the recruiters for a minute. Mm hmm. Recruiters are unsung heroes. I was um, I was having lunch with uh, our founder, and you know he he said you know it just hit me that this one particular recruiter that he had at a former company, he said without that one person, I can think of five relationships that are lifelong friendships that would have never happened, and I never thought back to. That individual is the one that made all of these things happen and how important that is. And recruiters are really at the heart of creating connection mm-hmm. and creating human connection. And it's it's such a, a thankless job sometimes. And, you know, we've seen what's happened with, with so many um, prof- TA professionals that have gone through a really difficult past couple of years. And um, there's a lot of burnout in the field. But they are really these these folks that that need to be supported. And so we can help them as well. Right. So it helps the candidate, but it can also help the recruiter on what messages do they typically convey? What questions do they typically get? And so how can we personalize their experience and 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 help them in their role as well? I love how you work. Absolutely. I mean, recruitment is a beast. I mean, it just is a beast. And it was the first thing I did when I started in in my HR career. I think a lot of us start there. Um, Maybe most of us. And Mm -hmm. it is, it is just a lot. It is a lot of work. It is a lot of effort. It is a lot of talking to people and trying to, to work through who's the right fit. And I think what's interesting about you guys working closely to tailor that and to tailor it, not to get a certain number of application target, but to, to tailor to get the right person. Because what, what I think organizations don't realize and are, are maybe are realizing more, more frequently today is that just getting someone in the seat doesn't 
solve the problem. And, and especially right now, more than ever, people are opting out quickly, like within a few months, this isn't a fit. It's not for me. I'm done. I'm looking for something else. Like they're not willing to, Oh, I'll give it a few years. So it doesn't look like I'm job hopping. It's nobody cares right now. Everybody is, is used to that. People have moved around a lot in the last few years. That's almost expected based on what's been happening and changing business and, and all the practices and things and work from home versus work in the office. So just filling a position doesn't mean that that position stays filled. If you hire the wrong person who's not a fit for what you you need them to do or what you expect them to do, even if they're great, maybe they're, they would be great in another role. But if they're not a fit for that role, yeah. they may self-select out before you ever get your value out of them. That's right. I talked to someone today who told me that last year, one of their highest priority roles had 100% turnover. And that it was a role for, this is a, a healthcare organization, and it was a role that was at the intersection of working with the therapist, working with the patients, working with the administration. And they were, you know, they were kind of uh, just getting the brunt of everything and doing a lot of the the entry level type work. And, you know, if people aren't aware of what they're in for, and if, you know, sometimes as recruiters, we really want to close that deal and, and we believe in, in the organization, but we, we, maybe we have rose colored glasses a little bit. And, and so I think just making sure that folks really know what they're in for is critical. But, you know, I, I also think it's really interesting because I think we're seeing something in the in the labor market that we really do need to pay attention to. And that is, I read a stat the other day that about 80% of Americans that are, you know, working eligible, if you will, are working. So it's not a matter of people don't want to work. And, you know, I think some of some organizations and some uh, leaders have have said things like that over the past, you know, couple of years, certainly through COVID and coming out of mm -hmm. COVID, but that just isn't the case. I think what we're also seeing is a lot of these roles are predominantly hourly positions. So if it's in hospitality, tourism, um, healthcare, those are industries where we're just continuing to see tremendous amounts of rec volume. And thinking about the the hourly population I think sometimes even as HR professionals, we're guilty of talking about the traditional office professional staff and their experiences. But that's a subset of the population. That is actually not a majority of the working population in the United States. And so we really need to think about meeting people where they are with respect, with dignity and with speed, because we recognize that those hourly roles you know, you can't wait six months like your husband uh, did uh, to to reach out to someone. You've got to be really expeditious and and again set the expectation. It's a really really interesting time to to be in talent acquisition. Well, and, and interestingly, so a couple things there. One, if if a company's at a hundred percent turnover um, in a role, then there's something wrong with either the role or the the organization with what's happening there, right? It's 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 that it's not attractive in some way, so it's it's churning people, and you've got to look at 
either the manager, the leadership, the systems and structures dynamic that's creating that result. And I think that you're right when it comes to the history or, you know, the, the, the shift in people working, but not working in the traditional sense. Um, I think what, what I've observed is the shift in terms of I'm going to work for me, not for you. And so people are willing to work two or three different jobs that they put together in a way that works best for them rather than sitting at a desk for 40 hours a week doing work that's thankless, not feeling appreciated or whatever the stress levels are that are contributing to that. They're saying, nah, it's not worth it. It's way easier to drive DoorDash and then I'm going to sell some stuff on Etsy and then I'm going to pick up some shifts doing whatever else. You fill in those those spaces and say, ah, that feels better. Like I can walk my kid to the bus stop in the morning and I can be there at dinner or or whatever. And so you see that shift. So I agree with you. Whenever people People say, you know, where are all the people that, how come unemployment's not lower? What's going on? They're working. There's new jobs. And there's, and so, so what that leaves is a gap that there's actually not people to fill some of the jobs that have existed. I was talking to um, somebody in the financial services sector and in a banking industry who had people who had to come in you know, they had to have people in for that would for so when people came into the bank, there would be tellers there. And the tellers wanted more flexibility. And so they actually had ended up adding an additional resource so that they could create some of that greater flexibility. So they added a headcount, but it actually ended up impacting them more positively because it reduced turnover. So instead of constantly having everybody stressed with turnover, they added that extra head. And I think it's a good example of where oftentimes the practices we've used in the past clearly aren't working anymore in the present. Absolutely. We we like to say we solve a non-traditional problem. We solve a problem a lot of people don't realize that they have. Yeah. Um, and so we offer solutions. And I think I think you're right. I think organizations are going to have to find non-traditional solutions, uh, whereas in the past they would have handled that staffing model very, very differently, evaluating their resources and evaluating all of the impacts that uh, that turnover has. I mean, think of all the metrics that we have in HR and, uh, and in TA, that the things that are really easy to measure, there are so many things that we don't look at like the true impact of turnover. I mean, we with their models and you can quantify it for sure. But if you really think about the impact of a little bit of empathy and a little leading with kindness and being thoughtful, you know, those are those are measures and those are they're things that we coach leaders uh, and team members to be that you we all know that there is a value to that. But if you can't put it on the balance sheet, sometimes our favorite CFOs aren't able to. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because the concept of metrics. I was actually writing an article today on metri- on HR metrics, and the metrics that we've created in talent management or HR are really like mirror what we've done in terms of like manufacturing metrics and financial metrics and things that exist in a space where what they're measuring is absolute, is controlled. You can control the variables around it. 
And when you enter into the human space, you actually don't control all the variables. These are human living beings. It's not a machine. And so, you know, what I think is interesting with even what you were talking about there with empathy and, and thoughtfulness and that connection piece, you know, is I think that is almost like the next layer of uh, people metrics. Um, so one of the companies that I'm, I'm a partner with has an emotional intelligence app um, an, an assessment that actually measures your voice frequency. So it's an objective measurement and it measures your voice frequency and it gives you your current level of emotional intelligence. So your self-management, your, your self-expression, your ability to identify, regulate, express, and then your empathy levels. And then it tells you what emotions you're experiencing. So there's positive and negative emotions and which ones are showing up. And so as I've, as I've partnered with them and, and we've worked with, with some individuals through it, what what's interesting about that is now businesses can have a metric that says, like, our organization cares so much about emotional intelligence that we measure it. And so I think things like that, like emotional intelligence measurement, um, I think um, heart rate variability is another one that I've seen a lot about in terms of the overall like neuro fitness of your organization. How healthy are your people? Not like in terms of weight and exercise and those things, but truly how healthy are they in terms of their nervous system, in terms of what is happening internally? So I think like the metrics that we've used, I mean, it's the best that we've had of, okay, how many people have turned over? Um, but it doesn't really necessarily equate to like what, what makes people the very best people they can be and what makes workplaces or what really would distinguish a workplace um, if they had that kind of metric, if they had something that measured something more substantial to us as, as human beings. It's so fascinating, isn't it? And I, I think that that when we all just take a step back and remember, we are all people first. And each one of us wants to be treated with care and with respect and with dignity. And every single one of us have dreams and aspirations and goals and and life and experiences that we bring to the table and really, I think some of the best organizations in the world recognize that all of those different experiences and perspectives together and 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 that really foundation of of respect is kind of their secret sauce and their magic for for how they can be really, really successful. And I think what will be really interesting over the next 12 months, and we're seeing it in the news today and all sorts of different articles about return to work. Uh, I don't remember which bank it was, but there was some bank that, you know, told their leadership they needed to set the example and be in the office five days a week. <laughs> and so just this shift, right? We we showed we could do it at home. And I think what we've really found, which should be no surprise to anyone, is that we all appreciate flexibility and, and autonomy, right? The ability to decide what and do what we need to do when we need to do it. And so I think it's going to be very interesting as a lot of these topics that have been at the forefront over the past couple years, whether it's remote work, whether it's hybrid work, whether it's DEIB, um, all of these topics that now that our economy is is doing what it's doing from an inflationary perspective, you know, or we see organizations uh, cutting costs in a variety of different ways. 
And it's going to be very interesting in telling which programs are still around 12 months from now. I think that's a it's it's a really interesting perspective and I think I think it also applies to organizations in general because as we've gone through I think 2 years ago we t- everybody was writing about the future of work right everybody was at, well we're kind of in the future of work now it's in only 2 years right like it's it's here and there's so much innovation kind of like and I I think your organization's a great example of that innovative and different ways our partner Vibonics who does the emotional intelligence assessment there's these interesting and creative ways to look at people and performance and what we're doing in terms of our workplaces and our our world at large because that's what it really impacts right if we can create these great workplaces we create better experiences for everybody who are in them and so as we as we look at all these technologies and all these things that are coming to the forefront it's really to me it's going to be a question of who takes advantage of those and gets the upside versus who is busy cutting you know, different cost elements saying, uh, you know, well, we can't afford that anymore. We can't do that. And they cut themselves right into being the circuit cities or the um, borders books of the past who disappeared um, when they didn't, you know, move forward in terms of, of technology and practices. I think you bring up a really important point. And I, I'd like to add to it and say, I think innovative companies cut costs all the time. I think they find different ways of doing things and it's the it's the focus, right? It's switching the focus away from let me figure out something I can pull out of my budget and then we'll figure out how to continue to do the work to let me explore how the work should change. Mm-hmm. And then as a result of the work changing, the benefit for the organization in terms of whether it's increased productivity and performance, engagement, what have you, or costs, yeah. right? There, the, but, but ultimately, it's the perspective shift. And I think that as human beings, that positive shift to problem solving and, and trying to figure out a way to do something better, smarter, faster. I mean, listen, we are all lazy creatures. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I mean, naturally, we're going to seek the easiest way to do the thing. It's, it's a very normal and and that's good that help you know that helps us to find um the best most efficient effective way as long as you put some some boundaries on on that behavior and so if we can really focus uh our workplaces and and our teams to do things better versus do more with less i think that that the engagement and the retention i do kind of not like the whole engagement survey metric. If we're, if you really want to know, I really care about the retention metric. And I really care about hearing about people that are achieving the goals that they've set out for themselves because goals and performance is not always about being promoted. It's about being satisfied with the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's why you've got to be real careful with different engagement surveys, because if they're, I always differentiate between like engagement surveys that really equate to meaningful uh, results, like meaningful outcomes, um, compared to employee satisfaction surveys, where it's it's this like big dump on what do you think about this, how do you feel about that, lots of ratings, lots of questions, and there's an abundance of employee satisfaction surveys that are not based in 
quantified, qualified research that shows that high scores equate to something. I used to joke, we did Gallup's engagement survey. So Gallup's been around for a long time with their, with their metrics, but then we would also do the St. Louis post-dispatch workplace award survey. And we could score so high on the St. Louis, like the local survey and the scores would never be the same is my point. Like Gallup was hard. It was hard to score high on that assessment because it really was tied to profitability. When, when those engagement scores went up, profitability went up and we could track it. We could measure it. We knew that that was happening, but it doesn't correlate with every survey that's out there. So I totally agree with you. Speaking of outdated practices or of traditional practices. One of the, one of my favorite things you told me about was the thing you did with resumes, which are one of the things that I hate the most in the world. I've always struggled with resumes. Um, They just don't do a good job of actually telling you about a person. Can you share with us just a little bit about what you did um, and, and why you did it and how, and the value it brought? Oh, absolutely. Uh, This is one of the things that I probably had the most fun with and I and I was really proud of in in my previous role um, leading recruitment at AB. And it was all around university recruitment. And so AB has a very robust um, trainee program. They have a very robust recruitment process for those trainees. And they invest a ton, not just not just financially, but of 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 time and emotion in the hiring uh, and the development of, of folks within the organization. And we had been talking, as many organizations uh, do, about how are we really going to continue to have really strong recruitment program, but do so in a very, very different way because we wanted to diversify the candidates that were coming into our organization. So you obviously a lot of companies partner with specific schools specific majors, et cetera, because they, they, they're they trusted kind of sources of talent for you. But when you always go to the same well, you're going to get the same water. So if you if you really want to expand and, and um, diversify your organization, you have to look in some, some different places. And so what we did is we really expanded um, how we went to market and we leveraged a platform called Ripple Match to ensure that all of our trainee programs were posted across the country, not just at the colleges where we had typically recruited from in the past. And this really enabled us to attract candidates from all over. Uh, I think every single state was represented with the exception of, of one, and I think that was Alaska. I could be wrong. We had all these wonderful candidates in process. And, and as we were evaluating the process right before we got started, we said, okay, what are some different things? And, you know, you hear about the buzzwords about unconscious bias. And and I know that there are a lot of different uh, opinions there. But I thought if someone doesn't know where someone went to school and if someone doesn't know what fraternity or sorority they were in or what particular group they went in, then it'll be really difficult to have a bias in in that way. And so what we ended up doing is after our candidates, you know, passed the initial assessments, our recruiters would schedule their interviews and we would tell the candidates this in advance and uh, that their resumes were not being provided to their interviewers. And it did two things. It forced the candidates to work a little harder 
to tell their stories. And thank goodness, right? Because I agree with you, resumes are so limiting. And then it also really forced the interviewers to work a little harder and not rely on these bias that they that they had of, um, okay, I know this kid went to U of I, they've got a great program here. I, I, I've, I've pre-qualified this individual based on where they went to school. And so we removed that all the way through to the final interview. And, you know, we had some individuals that were not comfortable with that change. That was a, a big change for them. We coached everyone through it. And that's that's how we moved forward. There was double digit um, improvement in terms of the diversification of that class of talent. And uh, it was it was something that that made an impact. I, I'm I, like you. I am. I'm kind of anti-resume. I, well, and I love the the idea that when you say they had to work for it to tell their story, and and I actually love that kind of uh, approach to candidates interviewing. One of the things that I think is so much more valuable, I, I actually would hate when candidates would pull their resume to start like going through their experience. Like what were the stages? I want to know your story. I want to know what experiences you had, not in terms of even necessarily title, but what did you get out of it? How did that contribute to who you are? How did you grow through that role or that that position? And, and then how has that kind of weaved its way throughout your experiences? Because it doesn't always have to be linear. In, in many cases, people bring together really unique, amazing skill sets having done different things. Um, and, and sometimes, especially when you're talking about new grad graduates, like their work history, they would often downplay their experiences. And we would have to uplift and say, no, I mean, working in retail, working in uh, fast food brings value. There's a lot of learning that comes through those careers, through those positions. So tell me your story. Tell me what you learned so I can see if you're that growth minded, that um, that you have those skill sets that are going to make you work in this organization. Yeah, I 100% agree. I, I used to say there were 10 different profiles, right? There was There was the person that had worked on their farm or a farm. There was someone who had the ideal uh, industry internship. There was the individual that was working full-time and going to school full-time. You know, there was the athlete. There were all of these different kind of profiles that that you, you could pick from every single year. Uh, and I admittedly, I have my own bias towards individuals that worked in the restaurant industry. I, I have never found a knock on wood, but I've never found anyone that has been successful in the restaurant industry that doesn't know how to think quickly on their feet and problem mm -hmm. solve because they're multitasking all the time, right? And having to balance differing priorities, whether it's the manager or the cook or the customer, or if they're the bartender and, you know, imagine all the conflict management that a bartender oh, learns, yeah. right? So yeah, it's uh, it was my own known bias. And so I, I also did not look at resumes and made sure that my team kept them for me as well. I, I just think it's a really great example of an age-old practice, a very standard, this is how it's done, practice that's existed in HR for a long time, and saying, oh, actually, we're not going to give interviewers the resume of the candidate they're interviewing. And and I think it's a good example that could you know, ignite that creative thinking around what else can we do? What else can we do to say, maybe just because it's always been done this way, 
doesn't mean it's the best way. And, and maybe, you know, I'd like to think some of the things you guys are doing at Largely are going to contribute to actually streamlining that process where you're getting to the right people faster, where you're getting them to yeses, where they're going to stay, they're going to show up on their first day, they're going to be engaged through that first period. And then because they have such a great experience, we know how much that that first experience, that first impression has on the likelihood that a person will stay with an organization long term now you've just now you've just changed the trajectory of that person's you know long term retention and and potential engagement that's yes thank you for that that's we believe that as well we believe in the compounding effect of consistent and authentic communication you know if if you're starting if you're starting in a very honest place from the very beginning and you continue with that um, it, it yields dividends for sure. So you made the move from corporate space, corporate HR, big, big organization, Anheuser-Busch, AB, like it's St. Louis here. So like those that are in the local area know it's, it's, you know, got a big, deep family roots there and everything from that organization over to a startup that's really small, that's a very different um, environment. What are some of the the challenges you've experienced of, you know, making that shift and that you now have to to look at from a, a people and an HR perspective? Yeah, uh, it has been one of the greatest adventures and privileges of my career so far to make the switch. I work with brilliant, kind thoughtful people every single day to do the thing I love more than anything else, which is help solve problems, specifically in the people space. So I feel like a kid in the candy store uh, all the time. Um, I'm surrounded by this brilliant tech talent, and I feel like if I can sculpt an idea, they can develop it. And uh, and we, we, we do that together. So there's a, a really a great foil there. It has not been without its challenges. Uh, you know, you get you get used to um, not necessarily like policies and procedures, but maybe established practices, things that you know, things that you can count on, um, things that you're just you're just used to. And we live in a world of ambiguity because we are evolving, and we like to work with our clients and go miles deep and really serve as an extension of their team. And what's great about that for a startup is that really helps us to dial in our product and develop our product for really the needs of our clients. Mm. There's nothing better than making something that someone needs versus making something and then convincing someone that they need it. And so doing that means that there are a lot of shifting priorities. Um, I think I wear 20 different hats. We all wear 20 different hats. Um, and every day you just... You're, you're shifting and, and going back and forth. No day is the same. Uh, and for me, I am a single mom of two. I have two wonderful girls that are, uh, one's a preteen and, and one's in high school. And so it's really important for me, you know, with COVID, I found the flexibility that I needed with them. And so I have the flexibility in the startup that we're in. And we all have a commitment to our families and the people that are important in our lives. And we make sure that we respect and honor that. And so that has just been um, an amazing part of, of the transition. 
But I would say that some of the discipline that comes from having an organization that's very structured and has, you know, hundreds of years of, of, of kind of story and process and procedure and quality uh, and, and performance behind it to one that is developing and, and creating is you have to you have to create your own discipline um, for what your day is going to look like and what you're going to accomplish. Right. And uh, yes. yeah, you your don't own structure. That's right. That's right. So uh, it's been it's been fun learning and shifting uh, the day and the structure depending on what's going on and and learning. I have learned more in the past uh, twelve to fourteen months. Um, than I, than I have in, you know, the past five years. And it's just been, it's just been amazing. Well, and I think, so I want to, I want to dive into this for a second, because I think it's so important. And that is that the, the amount of learning that can come when you're given that flexibility, when you have that ability to make those best decisions for how to manage your time, how to manage your energy, how to apply yourself and and how to do so across your whole life, right? Not just your your working world, but also your your life in general. There's so much conversation in and there's multiple articles right now because there've been a number of senior tech um, leaders, uh, female leaders who've stepped down, left their organization looking for for balance, looking for changes changes to their life uh, structure and how they live their lives. And and I would and I would say it's probably not only females that that's probably true of of many um, uh, men as well where there's this shift that's happened and no matter how hard some organizations are fighting to say everybody's got to be back and in this schedule and in this way it's it's the the resistance is so great because the challenge that existed prior was so great the challenge of balancing not even balancing because there was no balance, but, you know, making it work, just getting by, figuring out how you'd survive. I mean, that was really kind of the state that we were always in trying to balance the, and, and I'm not a, a single parent, but I've got three small kids and, and just the challenge of, of navigating mornings and afternoons and pickups and all the things that come with, with having a two parent working family, it makes it incredibly challenging. And I, and I just, you know, I think that that topic is so important and it's so important if workplaces want to keep key players like that and really get maximum results. Like the fact that you've learned more, you know, in the, in the past few years than you learned in the prior five, like that's huge. That's a huge amount of growth. Imagine what the, your prior organization could have gotten out of you if they had tapped into this energy level, this this level of of flexibility, this level of performance that you have the ability to do in the in the startup now. It's probably one of the things that I worry the most about in terms of organizational kind of just everything that's happening with this return to work thing. There was an article I read recently, and there's this this female leader, and I don't remember if it was, I think it might have been in the banking space, but I'm not 100% sure. And she's in this meeting and, you know, she is the only woman in the meeting with these these other high-powered um, kind of giants, if you corporate giants, if you will. And they were talking about the importance of returning to work and she called it out. She said, you know what? You all have partners that don't work. 
So you don't have the same need for flexibility that most of us need. And so it's maybe more difficult for you to understand. And now I think she was a little bit more direct about it. And I was really, it, I'll say, it was a great article, I'll send it to you. But I think that that's something that we really need to be mindful of. That flexibility is key to helping us, you know, regardless of gender, but helping all of us be more flexible um, because with that flexibility comes the time to have the growth, the time to be curious, the time to explore. And that curiosity and that exploration is really, that's that's where you you can find and learn things. Well, and, and one of the things I've definitely discovered, especially as I've gone deeper in terms of the neuroscience behind our performance and how do we really optimize it, is that when we're in that constant uh, state of, of flight, fight, freeze, when we're in that constant high stress state, because we're worried about, you know, getting our work done before we have to leave, before we have to quickly go pick up our kids before, you know, when we're in that constant state of stress, we're actually not producing the work at the level that we're capable of doing. Like I would, I would argue that most organizations are probably significantly underperforming simply because their people are not able to operate in at a level where they can perform at their best, where they are optimized, where they are in a balanced, uh, you know, nervous system in a coherent state where they're tapping into their growth potential and their, their ability to make good decisions and all the things that come with that because they're so stressed out because there's not enough time in the day. And, and so I think that's a big shift that organizations are going to need to make or they're going to find themselves in a really difficult position because that performance, either they're not going to attract people or the people that are there, the performance is going to keep suffering. The quiet quitting is going to keep being a thing because there's no energy left. There's no, there's no emotional commitment left because there's quite literally nothing left, which is why so many industries and so many areas are suffering from that high stress and burnout. It'll also be interesting to see what happens with that four-day work week, right? So we know that it's been successful um, in some different studies uh, across the pond. I, I I know of other startups that that do it and uh, and do it with great success. And I think it's really interesting. It's it's challenging the whole notion of you have to be here um, for the for five days. It's got to be five days, and that's how you're going to be most effective and you know, the studies and you, you, you're you more versed here than I am, but, you know, the studies seem to show that that giving people the the space and, and a more specific, you know, block of four days versus the five, just as effective, if not more effective, I believe. Yeah, I, I absolutely. And I think I think even the 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 idea that it's some sort of block um, cre- creates limitations on it. Um, and now, of course, there are industries where you you know got nurses have to be you know at the patient patient side. But I think that we've gotten stuck in very specific paradigms of what working hours and how work what work looks like because that's what what it's always been without really challenging that and really saying, okay, what if you actually threw that out and said 
you know, what if, what if shifts were six hours from now on? That's the longest that you ever worked is six hours. And you had to have at least a 45 minute break at the halfway point, you know, so that you are resetting and you're recharging and then you're coming back in. And I would, and I would be really interested to see how much the results actually changed. Because what I used to observe pretty frequently in myself and others and the the people that I worked with is that you'd get towards that end of the day and that work was like no, no longer very productive. You were doing things, but it wasn't really doing anything of value. You were just trying to finish your day. You're trying and, to get to five o'clock. Yeah. And, and, and it wasn't even because it was five o'clock. It was just like, I got to finish these things, you know, these things. And so you're, you're working through them, but not effectively, not at a good energy level. Whereas if you waited and you, you, and you worked it when you were back in a, in a high functioning performance state, you'd fly through it. You'd get it done in no time. It'd be easy. Um, and so I think, I think there's a lot of innovation still to be done in this space and the talent space I think had, has been stagnant or, or historically was stagnant for a very long time. And there's a lot of new coming into the space that can really shift and transform it. I agree. I think it's, I think it's really interesting. One thought that just came to mind is I remember being on these different kind of task forces to try to solve some of these challenges and problems with engagement and productivity and what have you. And and when you stop and you think about it, I realized we were still constrained. It was you can do whatever you want as long as you do it within this 40-hour block and people are working the same shifts that they already worked. Can you find joy there and find more productivity? And it's that's that's really not going to help you innovate or make any changes, right? It, it is when you remove those barriers, allow allow all of us to think a little bit differently about how work can get accomplished, where I think that we're going to see some amazing change. And to your point, the organizations that figure that out first and are willing to try it are the ones that will uh, that will leapfrog and uh, move ahead. Well, and I think kind of like your organization has embraced the elements of marketing into the the HR, the talent acquisition function. Um, I think looking outside the direct function can bring a lot of of new perspective and value. And I think that in in the area of of HR and talent management, you know, the other element is I think we got to bring science in. That's right. We got to. There's so much new science and new data and information on how human beings operate and perform at their best. Um, and, and some of that's fairly recent in the last five to 10 years for sure. And, um, and it exists in the science community, but we haven't, you know, fully brought it over. Now there's some great thought leaders that are, and there's some work to be done there. But by and large, organizations are not thinking about, the science of human performance on a daily basis. Certainly HR isn't. And so, you know, you start to say, okay, how do I, how do I bring science in? Uh, You know, how do I think about the people function, not as an execution function, but as a performance enhancing and support, you know, supporting function. And so um, I think there's a, a lot of really creative things. And I think, I think it'll be interesting to see what comes into the space like your startup and others that can make a, make a big difference. Yep. So this has been such a great, <laughs> great conversation. I, I think you and I could go on forever. We'll have to have you come back again. Um, but as we wrap up, are there any um, final thoughts or, or final insights you want to want to share with, with the audience? Uh, I think, 
yes, the the one thing that um, we're really uh, focusing on is the insights and the analytics and the results and tying those back. And and to your point, not the exact science, but definitely the 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 numbers and and what the data and the signal tells us. And one of the things that I I would just like to to leave everyone with is when you think back to the impact and the impact that other people have had on your life, um, I, we're going to be launching uh, here in a bit a campaign around thanking a recruiter or thanking an HR professional who's made a difference in your life, and uh, and just like we said at the very beginning when when, when we started. The TA profession can be so rewarding and so difficult at the same time. And uh, really honoring the connection that these recruiters uh, help create and thanking them um, is is just kind of central to to who we are and and something that we'll we'll be bringing forward. So we'll we'll enable the public to to be able to uh, to thank those people. And so you can I'll share that with you when we launch it, and it'll definitely be on our LinkedIn as well. I love that. I think it's so fun, especially in a super burned out profession right now to have that, um, that thank you going out to those, those folks. And you're right. It is a very painful, hard job in a lot of cases, both TA and HR. And, and I think getting that, thank you, getting that, that input is going to make a huge difference for a lot of people. So I love that you guys are doing that. I will absolutely participate and we will promote it with you. So I think that is just a really great, um, great initiative and great thing to be doing. Allison, I want to thank you for coming on. You were an amazing guest. I had such a great time talking with you. Um, I love all of the insights that we we hit on today, especially as we focus on all of the innovation and all of the opportunity for innovation when it comes to your people and talent practices. There's so much missed opportunity right now. So if you're looking for that productivity edge, if you're looking for how do I get that better retention, how do I find those better candidates, how do I get them into my organization in in a better way, there are solutions that exist out there. And it's just, it just takes some creativity and getting engaged to look at these new opportunities for excellence. So as we wrap up today's episode, as I always say, just always remember to always keep evolving. Have a wonderful rest of your day.